Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Source with Andy Osho. So uh, I'm here at Soho Works. So um, you may hear a little bit of extraneous noise outside. That is uh, creative types creating. Um, but uh, Soho Works has been very kind and given me the space and the kit to be able to record this podcast. So thank you to them. And also thank you to my patrons on Patreon. You guys, you guys rock. It's a way of keeping the lights on, keeping the podcast going, keeping the conversation alive. So if you do feel inclined to just jump on over to Patreon and become a sponsor essentially of this podcast uh, and keep it all going, that would be huge, humongous and very, very appreciated. And also, thank you to everyone that's bought my book, very exciting times if you haven't done so already my my debut novel asking for a friend is out now on paperback and audiobook um and uh yeah uh it's it's quite an ex- it's a i'm not gonna lie it's an exciting time so oh, what a time to be alive so last week we started the conversation about criticism and we talked about you know, that noise inside, the self-talk, and also sharing our work with our friends. So this week, we're going to talk about what happens when our work goes out into the real world. (laughs) It's absolutely terrifying. So this is Creative Source with Andy Osho, and we are talking about criticism. And after the inner critic and peer feedback, which is relatively not controllable but it's relatively safe at some point you're going to make the decision this work is ready so you've had your feedback and you've you know responded to notes you've made edits you've made changes you've given your uh, work breathing room actually that's a little uh, side note actually uh, it took me a long time to learn to give my work breathing room and by which I mean 
however long it takes for you to be able to look back at your work objectively with fresh eyes. This is so important because often we finish something and we love it partly because we're just so relieved to have finished, but also because, we, you know, we put so much time in it and we think it's great. We love it and we want to send it out to the world instantly because we think the world is going to love it as much as we do. But actually, we need space from it. We need time apart. You know, when you like really loved up with somebody and then you break up and then that next sort of those weeks afterwards, you're just like, oh God, I just missed them. It's because you're too close to it. You know, give it a year and you can be pretty danged objective about what was wrong with that relationship. Well, it's the same with your works of art, with your creations. You know, when we first finish them, we adore them. But you need a little bit of space to be able to really be objective. And so, you know, by giving yourself that, you can also essentially be an objective critic or at least more objective than you are when you're creating it. Furthermore, I would say don't critique stuff as you're creating it. Those are two different parts of the brains working in two different ways, serving two totally different functions. I think a lot of times people come unstuck and have this thing we call writer's block because it's like two parts of the engine, of the creative engine are whirring at the same time, the part that wants to create and the part that wants to critique. And the creation part is big and broad and expansive, whereas the critiquing part, the editing part, is about sort of reducing and, and refining. So that it's almost like they're in total opposition, these two energies pulling in two different directions. Of course, if you've got equal forces pulling in two different directions, what happens is stasis, nothing can move. So one big favor that we can do ourselves is making sure that when we're in creation mode, we stay in creation mode. And when we're in editing mode, we edit when we're because editing is more of a is our own uh, critiquing, not criticism, not inner criticism, but critiquing mode. And that is really important to refine and take on notes and all the rest of it. But it doesn't help when you're in the creation process. So. We've created our thing. We've we, we've um, taken on notes. We've we've given ourselves space to be able to honestly critique it and make whatever changes we need to before we feel it's ready to go to market. We want ideally uh, some producer, some gatekeeper, some decision maker to look at our work and say yes, please, thank you very much. I'd like that. Or next best would be this is great. I'd like to develop this with you to, to the point where we can do something with this. Um, certainly in the world of like, you know, screenplays and probably literature as well. That's, that's pretty much how the, the traditional model. Now, it is possible that you will send your stuff out to said professional person who's going to respond and there'll be some criticisms. There'll be some things that they're not feeling. There's some uh, things that they want to see changed. There's some dun 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 notes. <laughs> um, I don't know how many um, disciplines have uh, notes as a thing or whether there's other ways that, you know, uh, decision makers share their criticisms or um, comments. But certainly in uh, the world of television and, you know, film uh, for the writer, there's often notes. Notes are not something to be scared of. They're only trying, in their opinion, to make it better. So let's just start to embrace them. Here's some other thoughts around, um, uh, around notes. Um, <laughs> don't disagree with them. 
Now, that isn't to say that you have to accept every note that's given. But if you disagree, find a way to express that that doesn't sound like you're rejecting it. Because a lot of times, either that professional person knows what they're talking about or they just want to feel like they're able to make a contribution. If you as a writer feel like you're completely sealed off um, a sort of individual and your work is impenetrable, they might feel like, why would I want to work with this person? So don't disagree with notes or reject them out of hand. Absolutely not. I'm not doing that. That doesn't work. Ask questions because what I've often found is that when I ask questions, you test the validity of the note, you know, and it, I'm not doing it to be sly, but if I don't feel like a note is good, I will ask questions like, what do you mean by that? Because, you know, in, pre in the previous um, scene, you said that you wanted that character to be upset at the end. So why do you feel like she's in a good mood in this scene, given like where she's, you know, or whatever it is, because then that person might go, oh, yes, sorry, 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 I forgot about that. Or, you know, they might say, well, actually, what I've noticed is her, the characterization, she's very up and down. So it would totally make sense that she's happy in the next scene. And actually, to galvanize that in the audience's mind, we need to see her go up and down in mood. And you'll be like, of course, what a great note. So ask questions, but don't ask questions to be a dick. Like literally ask questions to legitimately understand where they're coming from. And you have to remember, like these um, notes sessions or meetings, especially if you have them in person or even if they're, you know, over email, they are kind of an audition. If you haven't worked with that person before, they either consciously or unconsciously are checking to see if you are the sort of person that they can work with. Are you open? Uh, are you available or are you completely closed off? You know, like um, when uh, you go in for an audition, as an actor, you know, you might get an adjustment from the casting director or the director in the room. And as much as they're telling you um, to play the role slightly different in the next version or the next take, your ability to do that or willingness to do that lets them know, oh, this is the kind of actor who's a real creative. They're an artist. They're able to interpret my notes and, and create something new in the moment, pretty much like that. And it's a big ask actually. But that's what it is to be a professional creative, is to be able to create under pressure in circumstances that would appear to be pressure to other people. To us, it's like kind of we get used to it. But um, that's the mark of a professional creative is to be able to just give me a second. Okay, cool. I think I've got an idea. Or let me take that away and give a time frame. If it's writing, say, for example, not not acting, you don't want to go home and go, um, I'll do another tape when I come back tomorrow. Um, but, you know, like with writing, you might say, OK, let me um, sit with that and I'll come up with something uh, and deliver it in the morning. So letting them know that you are versatile in your creativity just is exciting to be around. The fact that, you know, you, you might be able to riff with them about, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And maybe what could also happen is blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah. And then next thing you know, you've got some real, you know, vibe going with this person and they can't wait to work with you again, as opposed to that version of you where you're like, oh, God, this script is finished. Why are you wanting to mess with it? Or I've already figured out how I want to play this character. Why are you telling me differently? I've already worked out the backstory. In fact, I did that once. <laughs> it was a short film and I, I, I think I actually just didn't want to do it. And I, I didn't have the, the balls to basically say it. But um, yeah, I'd written this whole backstory for a character. And then uh, when I got to uh, the rehearsal, they were having a rehearsal and the director was like, oh, I've written your backstory. And I was so angry. I was like, how 
very dare you. I'm an actor. I'm an artist. I've Anyways, needless, needless to say, that job didn't work out. But the thing is about notes also is one has to be careful not to let that professional's notes pull your work out of shape. So if you are so clear about what your piece of creativity is meant to be and you get notes that would make it something else and you feel like that something else is just not what you had in mind, not what you want to create, feel free to say, hell no. Now, I say this with a caveat, be responsible in that, be responsible and respectful in the way that you say it. But if it really cannot work for you and you feel like the integrity of what you intended this to be would be so compromised as to, to it, for it not to be something you could be involved in, then yes, of course, you've got to walk away, especially if it's in a situation where they haven't actually commissioned you to do the work. Say, for example, if you've submitted a script, sometimes this happens where you'll send a script to a production company, say, and they'd be like, oh, we love this, but um, we think you should do this, this and this to it. And then you do it and they're like, yeah, we now think that it should be more about the mum rather than the dad character. And you're just like, hang on, it's called dad. <laughs> you, you know, then and they're like, mm, could you change the name of it as well? Um, and, and then suddenly you're like, well, I wrote this because I was inspired by something that my dad did. And I, I just don't walk away if it really cannot work for you. However, if you can go, actually, do you know what? The mum character is kind of interesting. And I always really like writing her scenes. Then, you know, then it may be that they spotted some gold that you hadn't been aware of. So I'm basically saying do whatever you feel like. <laughs> not giving advice but that's the point is I'm not here to give advice I'm just illuminating and giving um, a little bit of um, perspective on the whole creative experience and ultimately it's down to your gut instincts as to what is the right path for you um, just an example of something being pulled into a different shape now not necessarily the wrong shape or not to say that this was bad but this is how much a project can change through notes and contributions from other people. So um, the original Pretty Woman, and I don't know if it had the same title, but the original Pretty Woman was quite a dark, hard-hitting drama about this prostitute who ends up getting entangled with this businessman. Now, as we all know, that's not what the film became. It, it cast Julia Roberts. It became very light and um, very, almost fairy tale like um, bar the prostitution. Um, so that's how much something can change with the contribution of others as it goes through the process. Now, that's not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It was what it was. And we all love Pretty Woman. But it's just a demonstration of how much things can change. So really, you have to trust your gut on whether these notes are where you want your piece of art to go. And lastly, I would say don't be a diva. Uh, just on the professional notes front, don't be a diva about it. You know, everybody gets notes at every level. There's very few uh, artists who have gotten themselves into a situation where they do not, they will not receive feedback. Like Quentin Tarantino has a final cut on his films and I think Spike Lee too. And there's probably artists in other fields that have managed to negotiate, you know, their status dictates that that's where they're at. But if those same artists found themselves in a different domain, they would have to start taking notes. For example, I would venture that 
Quentin Tarantino getting involved in the Star Trek franchise was quite an unnerving um, experience for him, probably because he had to take notes. Because Star Trek has a very, you know, it's very clear about what its ethos is, what the vibe of it is, what's, what would work and what wouldn't work. And so if he comes in with his whole, well, there's going to be a massive massacre in the first like 35 seconds. And they might be like, well, it's been lovely working with you, <laughs> but bye bye. You know, so everybody at every stage is going to be exposed to notes. Every writer, you know, the amount of Q&As I've been to where writers talk about getting, you know, responses from their peers or trying to get feedback at the highest level, working in, uh, you know, writer's rooms on shows that we all love. Every artist gets criticism. So don't be a diva about it. Well, you can be a diva about it if you want, but you're just making a world of pain for yourself. And at the end of the day, uh, humility in uh, in what we do will take us a lot further than, you know, being kind of arrogant about it. All right. So they make this uh, piece, whatever it is we've been working on. There's been notes and iterations and we keep, you know, working on it and slowly it starts to come together and we start to have this thing that we call our finished product. Ta-da! And we love our finished product, or there's some things about it we'd like to change. But anyways, at the end of the day, it's done. And that makes us love it very much. What's next? Critics. Oh my lord, critics. It's funny, our relationship with critics is so funny because like when they say things uh, that are positive, we're like, oh my God, look what they wrote. You know, and we'll read it to our friends and just go, oh my God, I can't believe it. I've got five stars for blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, look, I'm looking at my Amazon reviews and I've got a hundred five-star reviews. When they say things we don't like, when they say the negative stuff, we're like, well, what does this guy know anyways? I mean, he's never created something in his whole life. It's so funny. And we also, we always fixate on the negative as well. We could get like 10 five-star reviews for, for something we've created. And that one person that gives us three, it's like, what does this guy know? Huh? When was the last time he actually made something, felt something growing inside of him? You know, created something and gave birth to it? Never. He never did that. So um, <laughs> this all points to kind of not taking it so seriously. Look, at the end of the day, have a policy of how you want to navigate this. I think it's really good, especially when your work starts to really get out there. Um, I, I would uh, propose having a policy of how you want to navigate it because that will make life a lot easier. Like actively come up with some thoughts and it can change. You know, once you get to a certain degree of um, comfortability with it all, you can go, actually, you know what? I can read them when they first come out. But at first you might be like, do you know what? Let's put them all aside and I'll look at them uh, when this whole thing is finished or when this cycle of publicity or one, once the heat has died down, then I'll look at them. The thing you have to remember about critics is their job is to deconstruct. They are not creators. They are not there to construct. They are there, there to deconstruct. They also don't owe us anything. It's not like they owe us a nice appraisal. Um, they don't owe us objectivity as well. This is their thoughts, their opinions on this thing. And whilst one uh, critic may find uh, something dull and tedious or whatever, another may be like, oh my God, I just love the pacing of this. And it was, you know, whatever it may be. 
They're not our teachers. You know, they don't owe us objective appraisals. They're there to write an entertaining piece that will let people know without giving away too much what this, you know, uh, piece of uh, creativity is going to give them. Be it, you know, a film or an exhibition or a photography book, say, for example, or a play or a book or, you know, whatever it is. They're there to write something entertaining. Um, Charlie Brooker used to write something called Screen Burn, which preceded Screen Wipe, the TV show. So Screen Burn was just this hilarious review of the week's television. And I think he used to write the one on soaps as well for the for the Guardian. And I used to love it. Now, if you're in those soaps, you might not love it so much. But Charlie Brooker's not thinking of them. He's thinking of me, the consumer. In enjoying it and, and, and being entertained and laughing so much that I've got like tears rolling down my face. The other thing is um, the more work you do, the more you are going to be criticised, the more critiquing you're going to be exposed to. And it's like praise and criticism come hand in hand the more work you do. It is par for the course. So finding your way to, um, to navigate that will make life a lot easier for you. I'm Roisin Connerty, and you're listening to Creative Source with Andy Osho. As always, what you guys think and say is as important uh, a part of the conversation. So with that in mind, Titus uh, shared on Facebook, he says, in terms of criticism, it's kind of uh, central to collaborative projects like films or TV shows, which I typically edit. So I know Titus and he is uh, a TV editor. He says, self-criticism is constant. I'm ready to throw anything away if there's a good reason to do so. An editor's trick is to leave things in to throw away as a sacrificial lamb and protect your real babies. Having said that, you have to be able to throw them away too. I'm not a huge fan of creating by committee. A democratic process often weakens the vision in my experience. A small group is fine, but a boardroom full? Nope. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's interesting is the bigger the project, the more people seem to want to get involved. It's really interesting. Like, um, I, I think he's right. Like, a t- a gr- sometimes a group, a small, competent group of people, what can be created out of their critique can be bigger than is it, the sum of that is bigger than the parts, as it were. But then, when when there's diminishing returns, when the group gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Or it sometimes can feel that way. Who's to say? Like I, I worked on quite a big um, uh, film project for a large streaming um, platform, and everything was run by them. Do you know what I mean? Like the the production d- didn't have complete autonomy, as it were. Everything had to be so. Even our costumes. They had to be photographed, sent to them. Eh, I'm not feeling that so much. Can we make that character look blah, blah, blah. So that, so, so it can get to that level where, um, at every step of the way, there's, there's, there's involvement. But at the end of the day, if they're putting up the money, maybe that's just the way it has to go. You know, that was really interesting though, because sometimes when you're writing, or you're going to decision makers, it's one decision maker. But what, what Titus is talking about is actually, sometimes it can be a bunch of people, a boardroom of people even. And, you know, often your powers are limited sometimes in those circumstances, you know, and it's only as you go up the pecking order, as it were, that you can start to gain a little bit more say in those environments. But I've found that uh, you know, that old saying of pick your battles, certainly in those conversations, you have to be really judicious about like, mm, 
I think I'm just going to have to compromise here. And I think it was David Fincher who said, like, uh, you know, when you start out, you're going to get like 40% of the stuff you want as a director because you didn't put up the money. And essentially, a lot of directors are just hired hands. They're not the the, the birther of the project, as, as it were, the producers are. They're, they're just hired guns. And so a lot of the, the creative thoughts that they may have may not get, they, they may be vetoed. And it's just like the producer can say that because they're the ones that put the money up. They're the one whose house has been remortgaged to make this happen. Or they're the ones that are, you know, facing the financial exposure not the director. So that's probably why a lot of them don't get the final cut, you know, is when your money's on the line, then you can say how the film's going to look, you know, the last right at the end. But anyway, um, yeah, that is the thing that you can potentially, uh, you know, find yourself in a situation where your work is being critiqued by a boardroom of people. Um, and it's finding the grace to be able to work with that is really important. So thank you for that, um, Titus. That was really, really, um, a really useful comment. You're listening to Creative Source with Andy Osho. Uh, and don't forget, we have a Patreon page for you to support the podcast and keep this conversation going. So listen, guys, um, as always, uh, I have asked one of my friends uh, and lovely co colleagues and co-collaborators to um, give some advice on criticism. And this week it is the wonderful John Stahl. When I was younger, I used to dismiss criticism. Um, I think a lot of criticism is worth dismissing, but you need to find out just why you are dismissing it. Because some people will criticize you and maybe that criticism is worth taking on board because they may have put their finger on something that will help you to see a way through certain things in life that you have to face. So when I was younger, I always just dismissed criticism, but now I tend to have a think about it. And 99.9% .9 of the time, I just say, no, that's wrong. Forget it. There's no problem. But there is always that wee 1%, 0.5%, whatever, where I can actually learn because the person who is giving me the criticism is worth listening to. And that's another thing about criticism. Weigh up who is saying it. That was John, who you will have seen on Take the High Road and most recently Game of Thrones, giving some really great advice there. And remember to hit up our Patreon page to be part of the conversation after dark, as it were, like the extras because that's where I'll answer some, some more of your um, questions about uh, criticism and um, also respond to some of your comments and some little extra advice from some other friends of the show. Lastly, I would say peers and punters. That's the next <laughs> wave of criticism. God, it just seems like it's just rejection and criticism battering us about. But it is peers and punters. Now, um, one thing I would say is I think as an artist, we should be very mindful of how we comment on other artists' work. Doesn't matter what field they're working in, but particularly if they're in 
your own. I made a grave, grave error when I was starting out in stand-up of writing reviews of my gigs. I never named anybody, but I saw myself as an outsider. And so I thought it was perfectly okay to uh, review uh, these gigs. And what I didn't know was because I'm a dummy, is that these comics were going and reading the reviews afterwards. And I remember I'd been doing it for about four months and it was at the Edinburgh Festival and a mate said to me, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? And then a a promoter said, oh, you know, I've seen your reviews. They're a bit sort of uh, close to the bone. And then I remember another comic as we were walking to a gig. He's like, "Uh, yeah, um, I saw your review of our gig the other day and uh, yeah, a bit harsh, fair, but harsh. And I was just like, oh my God, people are actually reading this stuff. So I would say as artists, We don't need to add to the troll noise that's out there. If we didn't like something, then tell somebody privately in person and just have a rant like that. Don't post about it and particularly not publicly. You know, uh, it's just bad form because what goes around comes around. If you feel like you wouldn't want people writing like that about your work, why on earth are you writing about uh, like that about others? And also the way I think of it, just on a practical level, Uh, for me is if I want to be working on certain films or TV shows with certain people, or if I could end up working on those shows, I don't want to be going to town on them on, you know, Instagram. And then the next thing I know, some journalist has found that comment and takes it back to the, you know, to the lead actor or something. Oh, look, Andy said this about you. It's like, you're so uncool. We're not trolls. And the headspace of that type of um, sort of uh, online interaction is one of somebody who's never going to risk themselves and make themselves vulnerable by putting their art and their work out there. So you know what it means to put your work out there. So don't be the guy that's taking down or trying to take down or thinking that, oh, I'm just, it's, I'm just saying it like it is or whatever, when actually you wouldn't say it to the person if they're in front of you. So that's all I want to say about um, about that. Oh, and well, actually, also the fact that we um, can be quite jealous as peers as well. And I say, own it. Just own your jealousy because, you know, you can root for your peers and still be jealous of them. I don't actually know what the um, definition of jealousy and envy is, but I think there's a difference between the two. And for me, it's this, that one is about um, you see somebody have something and you want it as well. Whereas the other is you see somebody have something and you want to have it instead Now, the latter is obviously not the healthy version of envy or jealousy, whichever way around it works. And and if you know, please um, message me and and, and let me know. But the former, I think, is is life. I'm not going to say it's healthy or it's unhealthy. It's natural. And again, like that inner critic, you just want to give it its appropriate context so that you can root for somebody and go, oh, God, I wish that happened for me too. Not instead, but as well, because there's actually room for a lot more than we would think when we have a more generous, open-hearted approach to the arts and the arts space. And root for your peers because um, if your friends are winning, that means you're in the presence of winning. And that means that potentially you can win too because you're you're in the realm of that vibrational frequency of winning. So root for them because it could mean that winning could come to you. And finally, punters. Obviously, you know, <laughs> it's a whole it's a whole thing. 
Um, and people say lovely things uh, about our work, but they also can be very mean. And so similarly to how you deal with critics, you want to have a policy about how you're going to navigate the general public experiencing your art. Uh, I personally, I, I tend not to interact too much because I, not that I don't appreciate the comments and stuff. I really, really do. And I see the ones that are generous and kind and they really make my day sometimes. But I, I think the uh, poem If um, sort of captured it perfectly, saying that we should meet these two imposters, this praise and this criticism, meet these two imposters just the same. And that I don't want to buy into one or the other. I just keep my head down and keep doing my work. But know that if you have sent me a message that let me know you've enjoyed something I've created, I have seen it and I am appreciative of it. When it comes to social media, I mean, that's a whole episode in its own right. But the one thing I would say is you don't have to use it. You don't have to use it. And if you do, unfortunately, the truth is you are not entitled to an easy ride. Now, that doesn't mean that you are also deserving of hate and stuff like that that can happen. That needs to be reported and dealt with. And these social media platforms uh, should be taking more responsibility than they currently are. However, you don't have to have social media. It feels like, yes, I do, because everyone else is on social media. There's other ways. Or there's ways where you can have somebody run your social media, whatever it is, but you don't have to be on it. Um, and so you don't have to expose yourself to comments that are just going to not make you feel good about yourself. At the end of the day, being an artist is challenging. So we don't want to make the game even harder. So do whatever you need to do to be able to navigate all of this. Do what you need to do to have the inner critic, have its appropriate place within your being. Do what you need to do to find the right peers to contribute to your work. Do what you need to do to have really um, enlivening and um, inspiring conversations with professionals who are giving notes on your work. Do what you need to do to make sure that critics uh, and their words don't penetrate so deeply that they debilitate you. Do what you need to do to be able to manage your conversations with peers who have seen your work and punters who, you know, may not have the most savoury things to say about it, but also the ones that do. Remember that there are a lot of people that will and do enjoy your work. And remember always to be grateful. We're not owed uh, this opportunity to be artists. And so if we can find room and space in our lives to do it either professionally or just on an amateur level as a hobby, then we've already won. Thank you, uh, everyone, for listening in. Also, thank you to Soho Works, as always, to Clydesdale Music for uh, the music for the podcast, to Martin at Cream Room Recordings for uh, this edit. It was a jumbled mess before he got his hands on it. Um, next time, we'll be talking about ideas, authenticity, uh, writer's block, mental health, money. I wonder if, actually the rest of the shows will be uh, on topics beginning with M. I'm not sure. You're going to have to tune in to find out. You don't tune in though, do you? They're not, it's not the radio. You're going to have to subscribe. There you go, subscribe. Oh, that's something that I need to ask you guys. Have you subscribed to this and downloaded? Because the downloads make a difference. Do you know what I mean? So um, yeah, if you have a moment, if you haven't done so already, please be sure to download this podcast and subscribe and frankly, review it. I want your criticisms. Guys, it's been emotional. Until the next time, I will see you very, very soon. Hold up. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Creative Source. If you're looking for more support with your creative journey, I'm offering one-to-one online mentoring. Perhaps you want to launch a project but don't know where to start. Maybe you've got stuck around a certain issue, need some advice, or just want to bounce ideas around. Whatever it is, I'm here. Just hit the Patreon link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash creative source with Andy Osho to find out more.